Well, it's uh, lovely to be uh, with you this morning. Let's just bow our heads to pray. Father God, would you, by your word, through your spirit, reveal to us the state of our hearts and what lies on your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got a question for you. Are you for sale? Are you for sale? There you are. It's a little sign there. Uh, could you be bought? Are you in danger of giving your soul to something or someone other than the Lord God Almighty, the God and Father of Jesus Christ? Because in our Bible reading, we just wonderfully read by, by Juliet, we um, find the prophet Elijah telling the king of Israel, King Ahab, that that's exactly what he had done. Have a look with me at verse 20, uh, either on your service sheets, that's on the screen. Uh, Ahab, um, where is it? Sort of second half of verse 20. Uh, Elijah says to Ahab, you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, we're told when it comes to the kings of Israel, uh, when you list the good kings against the bad kings, Ahab is, Ahab is right there down at the bottom. He is the very worse king of Israel. That There was no one quite like Ahab or indeed his wife Jezebel. They made quite a pair. But there's also in our passage a great example of someone who hadn't sold his soul, that of Naboth. And it's a stance that ended up costing Naboth his life. And then that raises the question, what is God himself sold on? What values has he committed himself to? Does it matter to our maker whether we're an Ahab or a Naboth? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Ahab and Jezebel first. Then we're going to look at Naboth. Then we're going to look at God himself. So firstly, let's think about Ahab and Jezebel who says, there's a sort of people who say to, to us, I'm for sale, I'm for sale. So have a look at verse 25 with me. It's in brackets, this section, so perhaps it's the editor of the book who's sort of just, just sort of describing to us what's going on here. And he says, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. So here we have Ahab, who's given himself heart and soul to an idol, to a false god. Such a thing is evil in the eyes of the Lord because it involves taking the glory and honor and majesty that belongs to the one true living God and giving it to another. It is evil because it perpetuates a lie. It promotes an untruth. In fact, it makes God our enemy. Did you notice that Ahab calls the Lord's messenger, Elijah, my enemy? Now, uh, if you've just been joining us for the first time in this uh, series in uh, Elijah, you have to go back to chapter 16 uh, to discover um, that it, all this that went wrong in Ahab's life started when he married a foreign princess called Jezebel. It was then he started to show that his heart was for sale. He started worshipping her god, uh, the go a god called Baal or Baal, worshipped by uh, Jezebel's people and by the people who occupied the land before the Israelites. 
And Ahab had built a temple to this god Baal in his capital, Samaria, and he set about making regular sacrifices on the altar in that temple. And he also set up a a pole uh, to the goddess Asherah, who was Baal's wife. So Ahab sold himself to these gods in such a way that even when the prophet Elijah, which we discovered a few weeks ago uh, on Mount Carmel, uh, prayed to the God of heaven and fire came down from heaven, even when it was clearly seen that Elijah's God was the true God, Baal, um, Ahab kept holding on to this idol, to this God Baal. He clung on to it, and Jezebel likewise. He wouldn't let go, even when he realized Elijah had showed him who the true God was. So we find uh, Ahab a little time later relaxing his uh, summer palace. He sees Naboth's vineyard next door, and he immediately wants it. He's not content with what he has. He wants more. And when Naboth says no, as we saw in that video, he goes into an almighty sulk. How dare anyone say no to me? I'm the king. I've gave him a good offer. It's just not fair. That man should know his place. I'm the king, and so on. There is no peace in his soul, no sense that he already has enough. He's like a spoilt child, urged, used to always getting his own way, furious when someone stands up to him. Because, you see, these idols that he had worshipped had made him more self-centered, not less. And the idols that he worshipped never confronted him or, or gave him a, a guilty conscience that such thoughts were, were greedy and selfish. Because he's worshipping the wrong God. Anyway, it's Jezebel, we find, who, in fact, has the harder heart. She is the one who tells Ahab, just, just leave it to me and I'll sort it all out. And she arranges Naboth's death. Because, you see, also for her, the God she worshipped, this God Baal, wasn't a God of justice, wasn't a God who concerned himself with things of right and wrong. For her, it was all about raw power and the willingness to use it. So Ahab sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel. His soul was set on money and sex and power. But you see, in this story, Ahab and Jezebel weren't the only ones who sold themselves. Because we read that the elders and nobles of this town Jezreel, when asked to frame Naboth, get the crowd to kill him. They, they, they willingly agree to do all this. In, fine, we, in fact, we find in the second book of Kings that Naboth's sons were also killed at the same time. So the elders and the nobles of Jezreel do such a thorough job that no male relative would remain, be, remain to claim Naboth's vineyard. And because Naboth was condemned as a traitor to the king, his land was forfeit. And so Ahab feels free to go and lay claim to this vineyard as state property. And the elders' justification for all this? Well, we were just obeying orders. So are you for sale? The leaders of Jezreel certainly were. And as we perhaps climb the career ladder, as we crave social acceptance, we can face exactly the same temptation to sell our souls. It's just as common now as it was then, especially if our souls remain 
uncommitted, if we've held back from putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and putting him first on the throne of our hearts. And maybe as we look back on our lives, we can see moments where we gave in when we should have stood firm. And Ahab reminds us that selling ourselves to these false gods, to what is evil in the eyes of the living God, well, actually, it will never bring us satisfaction. It'll always leave us wanting more, no matter the impact on others around us. So that's Ahab and, Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel. Let's move on to Naboth. See, because Naboth is a great example of someone who says, I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale. Have a look at verse 2. When Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden. It's a bit of a downgrade of use of, uh, of a garden. Anyway, uh, since it's close to my palace, I'll give you something better, or I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Naboth is not for sale. At first glance, Ahab's offer, in fact, seems quite a reasonable one. Why does Naboth turn him down? Well, it's because Naboth's land is not just his land. It was gifted to him by his father, who received it from his father, and so on, right back to when Israel entered the land, and the land was gifted to his family by God himself. So it was, says Naboth, the inheritance of his ancestors. As such, according to what God had commanded back in the book of Leviticus, Naboth's vineyard was not for sale. Leviticus chapter 25 tells us land must not be sold permanently because the land belongs to God. So Ahab could have rented it from Naboth, but he couldn't buy it. So Ahab might worship Baal, but Naboth, he tells us here, worships the Lord and obeys what the Lord has commanded, and that what matters most to him. What the king of heaven thought matters more to him than what the kings of earth think. And he decided that he would not give away his birthright or throw away the inheritance of faith handed down to him by his parents and grandparents and treat lightly these blessings of God that he had received. So Naboth makes his stand. He defies Ahab, his king, but his conscience is clear. He is not for sale. But of course, all this came at a price. And Jezebel's chosen course of action was designed to inflict maximum pain. First, Naboth's reputation is torn to shreds in public. This day of fasting is proclaimed. The whole town turns out. Naboth is given a, a, one of the best seats. Then two scoundrels whose souls definitely were for sale accused Naboth falsely of cursing God and the king. And then with his reputation as a godly man destroyed, in his last moments he sees his friends and neighbours picking up stones to give him a, a traitor's death. Just imagine how he must have felt in those dying moments. But of course, Naboth isn't unique in standing for his belief in God, in saying, I'm not for sale. There are people all over the world today who are standing for Christ. There's a picture here of... Um, of some funerals in Nigeria of Christians who've been recently killed for their faith, who said, I'm not for sale. But how was it that Naboth 
who was able to, how was he able to, to give such a quick answer to his king? And I think it was because in his heart, he was already clear where he stood. He was already committed in his heart. Because if he'd been half-hearted, it would have been much harder to have said no to his king. Because it was a, it was a difficult decision, wasn't it? Here is the king's personal request. Here is a life-changing amount of money, something much better on offer. There's the evident danger of uh, offending a ruthless queen. I think it would have been so easy if Naboth wasn't committed in his heart to God to have given in and to have crumbled. And isn't it the same for us? I think unless we're wholly committed to Christ, when these sort of crunch moments come, more often than not, we end up crumbling. When the offer comes to do perhaps something else on a Sunday, then be with God's people worshipping the living God. We fold and we say, yes, of course. Or when an attractive non-Christian walks into our life, we say like Ahab, well, it won't make a difference. Or when the boss comes in asking us to lie to a customer or a client, we just uh, suck it up, as they say, and do as we're told. Are you for sale? Is your heart open to the highest bidder? Do we tend to crumble when the pressure piles on? Naboth is a great example of someone who wasn't for sale and was prepared to pay the price. Which brings us to our third point. Be reassured, because God is sold on justice. God is sold on justice. So verse 17 of uh, our chapter, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. This is where Elijah comes into the story. Go down to meet King Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he's gone to take possession of it. He's, he's walking through the, the vines, just thinking, what a lucky chap I am. But say to him, this is what the Lord says, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? And then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. So we can be reassured that the Lord, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is committed to seeing justice done. Nothing escapes his notice. You see, in Ahab's eyes, Naboth was a nobody, a man of no rank or title, a simple peasant farmer. But in God's eyes, his life is of infinite value. It is precious. His justice is for all. Kings are not above his justice, nor peasants below it. Kings are there to serve their people, not to have their people serve them. And justice, says Elijah, will be done. In the same way that dogs licked up Naboth's blood after having been stoned to death, so dogs will lip up Ahab's blood when he dies. If you want to find out that, what the, how that happens, go home and read on in 1 Kings. But in the same way that Ahab wiped out Naboth's line, so Ahab's line will be wiped out too. It's all a bit gruesome, but here is Ahab reaping what he has sown. Here is justice being done. Here is the Lord, through Elijah, confronting evil. Uh, theologian Chris Wright tells the story of a student he met in India who became a Christian through reading the Old Testament. 
the student was brought up in a community that had been treated by the, uh, the majority with contempt, injustice, and oppression. And the student had been drawn to Marxism uh, to put things right. And he'd gone to university in order to get some qualifications in order to one day gain a position of uh, influence and power so he could take his revenge on the people who had done his own people uh, harm. And uh, he could right some of these injustices. However, at the university, he met some Christians who gave him a Bible. And he opened it up just at random. And guess what? The very first passage that he read was Ahab and Naboth and Elijah. And he was astonished to read of Ahab's abuse of power and Naboth's experience of injustice, that here in the Bible was exactly the same sort of thing that he had gone through. But what astonished him more and led him to faith was the fact that God took Naboth's side and that the God of the Bible was a God of justice. He was a God he could respect, a God he felt attracted to, even though he didn't know this God yet, because such a God would understand his own thirst for justice. Well, we may have never have really experienced injustice in our lives, but aren't we all drawn, like the student, towards the justice-loving God of the Bible? So how should we respond to this God of justice? Well, of course, we could ignore it, but actually, Ahab does respond in a different way. We read in verse 27 that he humbled himself, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted. It suddenly came home to him what he had done. It's a good start, isn't it? In responding to God, this God of justice, of acknowledging that he is the one who holds us to account for the wrong things that we have done. But actually, is this what Ahab does? Is it genuine repentance? Is it saving repentance? Well, actually, the Lord tells Elijah that because he's humbled himself, that uh, Ahab won't receive this disaster upon his family in his own day. It'll happen in the day of his son, who's just as worse as Ahab. So God, in his mercy, postpones judgment rather than removing it altogether which suggests that Ahab, well, the thing about Ahab is that he may be resourceful here, but there hasn't been this deep-down change of heart. He's still attached to, he's still sold to these other gods. What he needs is a change of heart that leads him back to the God of the Bible. Because what he needs is a saviour who will take his debts, his sins, upon his own shoulders. And Ahab doesn't have that saviour. He burns sacrifices at a different altar. But wonderfully, of course, we do. We do have a saviour. Someone who, like Naboth, was falsely accused and tried in public, who was convicted by Israel's elders and then died a, a gruesome death. There's a similarity to Naboth. But Naboth's death couldn't help anybody else's. But of course, Jesus does. The Apostle Paul tells us that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved from God's judgment on your sins. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
The best that Ahab could hope for was a judgment postponed. But everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, well, we can know that judgment is taken from our shoulders completely because it's been laid upon Christ's shoulders. And I do hope you have taken hold of that wonderful gift that we find in Jesus Christ. But there's also something here for believers and followers in Jesus. Because if our God is a God of justice, then justice should be in our hearts too. And one way we can do that is through our mission partners here at St. Mary's. One of our mission partners is uh, Christian Solidarity Worldwide that seeks justice for those who are persecuted for their faith throughout the world. And then there are other organizations like the, the Barnabas Fund. I was reading in their latest magazine how they've helped to set free 500 Christian families from modern slavery uh, in Pakistan over recent years. And I find it exciting that through giving a, a bit as a church uh, family, uh, we as Christians here in the UK can be part of righting of those wrongs in other parts of the world. And that's exciting because our God is a God of justice. So have you settled in your heart who it belongs to? Or are you still for sale? Are you still open to another highest bidder? Will you crumble under the pressures of life? Or is your soul firmly attached to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the living God? Because, you see, if it's not attached to God the Father and through God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, if our soul is not attached 100% to the living God, then it will attach itself to some lesser thing, to some lesser God. And why settle for something less when you can have the real thing, when you can have the God of justice, the one who will put all things right one day in our world? Let's hold wholeheartedly to him. Let's be a Naboth for the rest of our lives. Let's bow our heads to pray. Let's just take a moment to think, well, where, where do we feel that pull to sell ourselves to other things? And let's ask for strength to stay true to the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.